Hello, and welcome to the Transformed Sales Podcast, where we talk all about the science of selling. Today, I am so excited to have Gene Plotkin with us. How are you, Gene? I'm doing excellent. Very excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Gene. Over the last 16 years, he's held about every single type of revenue driving role as both an individual contributor and a leader at companies ranging from early stage startups to global enterprises. He is currently the VP of corporate sales at Mimeo. So Gene, 16 years, almost two decades. Tell us, how did you get started and how did you end up where you are today? Absolutely. So uh, I never actually thought about kind of growing up, never thought uh, of sales as being a kind of a profession, but I knew very early on that I had a talent for managing and leading people. And when I graduated college, I didn't really have a good direction. Uh, sort of went to business school because that was really into, into sports and, and playing hockey and really didn't give my career too much thought other than, you know, I'm going to go to business school, gonna, going to do something. So I uh, graduated with a degree in marketing, but uh, really realized very quickly it wasn't for me. And uh, I kind of had this idea of starting a business one day and I figured that I was going to need to learn how to sell, right, and get any customers. So I uh, was good at interviewing, uh, went around, uh, had many different interviews, ended up getting a job I was completely unqualified for. You know, the guy thought I was high energy, uh, but there was no formal training of any kind. It was, here's an office, here's a laptop. Uh, you know, this was 2006. Everybody else has 17 plus years of experience and I've never sold a thing. So that's how I started. Did that for a little while. And then I really got interested in the idea of influence and communication, right? And guys like Tony Robbins and, and there's a few others that I listened to that, and I was really just fascinated by their command of language. So I started learning those kind of things, neurolinguistic programming and psychology, uh, just influence in general, got uh, certified as a, as a hypnotist, uh, just fascinated with the field, and then decided I was going to take that and uh, kind of bring it into sales one way or another and going to start kind of a coaching consulting practice. And this was in 2007. So then 2008 came and uh, that was not a good time to be starting a consulting practice. And I, even though I, I felt like I did okay, I realized that after a few years, I spent 95% of my time selling and then, you know, delivering the actual goods was, was just kind of 5% of the time. So I figured why not go back into sales and uh, joined an early stage company as the first kind of customer facing employee. Uh, it was a sales enablement platform, sales enablement training kind of platform. Uh, really went from there. Um, uh, met a lot of really good people, really started to learn the space of, of SaaS and tech sales and uh, kind of took off from there. And before long, I was recruited into Mimeo, uh, where I spent the last eight and a half years. And at that time, I was kind of burnt out from a lot of things. And I just said, you know, kind of give me the lowest responsibility that you could find within revenue, which was customer success, just for, it was the simplest thing. So before I knew it, I got promoted into being an account executive, into enterprise account executive, business unit director, director of sales, and eventually became a vice president uh, overseeing the enterprise space. Wow. So your career, I, I really like what, how it started. And you said you always knew you had this special, I like to call it secret sauce, that you had this leadership capability, um, this thought leadership, this really wanting to develop people. How did you know so early on that that was something that you were destined to do? 
good question. My father would always say that it's funny how little things kind of stay with us, right? I just had this ability to organize people, whether it was playing sports, you know, outside and on the playground or any kind of a project. It just kind of came very naturally to me to delegate and lead and kind of oversee and manage people. So ever since I was a kind of a little kid, my father would always say, you know, you need to be a manager because you're just sort of an innately kind of your thing. But I don't know. There was just a, a quality that I felt um, that I had of bringing people together and connecting them. And it really, I think, came down to just being able to see what somebody is good at and then kind of being confident about what you think that they should be doing at any given time um, or, you know, kind of directing them to that. Yeah, I think that a lot of us have this innate ability to lead, you know, me being the oldest sibling of three younger brothers. I think it was always something that was in me, you know, like, hey, Wesleyan, you're a natural born leader. And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? And then as my career evolved, I saw how that played out. Like, yeah, no matter whether I was an individual contributor or I was in a leadership role, I was always a natural born leader. Yeah, being a, an older sibling, that, that that's the same thing for me, right? You, you just kind of have to step into that. Uh, you have to organize you know, your kind of family dynamic. Otherwise, uh, you, you know, it doesn't work. So I think that that's definitely a part of it. Absolutely. And so you dipped your toe into entrepreneurship and then you're like, yeah, no, maybe not so much. And so this phenomenon that you said is like, I was selling 95% of the time and the delivery was only 5%. How did you find yourself always selling? Was it because that was your natural propensity or was it just what you had to do? So it's a... Uh... The most important thing in any business is customers, right? And if you don't have those, then there is no business, really. That means you're just doing stuff, right, without getting paid. So I think it was by necessity, right? You just need to, especially early on in, in that type of a business, it's all about your ability to kind of acquire those first cornerstone customers that you could then use to build and, you know, and so on and so forth. So that was kind of a thing, but I've also had other kind of ventures that I've started or have been a part of over the years and where I'm like, you know, I'm going to do the operational part. I'm good at that as well. But inevitably, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I think I could do that better. You know, you go through this, here's how it should look, here's what it is. And, and it's just something that innately comes to me. And before you know it, it's just easier to get in there and, and do it yourself when the business depends on it. Mm, I completely understand I find myself like I love because as a natural salesperson, it's like I love the clothes, right? And being an entrepreneur, you have to balance the sales with the operations or the delivery of it. So you mentioned being burned out at a point in your career. This is something that, you know, I think is so important today, really understanding the need for taking care of oneself, self-care. So what were the signs? How did you know that you were at a point of burnout and you just needed to do something different? Yeah. So again, having your own business, I think there's a lot of uh, societal romance around the idea of somebody being an entrepreneur. And what really that means, you know, they, it's always painted as this thing where you're in charge, you get to do whatever you want. You know, if you want to sleep till noon, then that's your thing. No, that's the opposite, right? Uh, what you do is, is you have the responsibility of doing absolutely everything. And on top of that, you get to work double the hours and you're the last one to get paid, right? Because everything is going into this child of, of your business. So it's a difficult thing. And I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, would be much happier doing the thing that comes naturally to them and uh, focusing on that and then letting somebody else 
you know, being a CEO of a company or an entrepreneur is not an easy thing. And I think only a select few people can really do it and uh, really have the sacrifice that it takes to make that happen, right? And, and I've got to witness very successful entrepreneurs who've taken companies public. I got to work very closely with them. And I preferred that dynamic of letting them do what they do. And I can focus on doing what I'm good at, which is acquiring customers, which is, you know, growing the business from a revenue standpoint. So how, what are some of the things that you knew when you were like, okay, it's time for me to make a change? Because either an entrepreneur or a person who's working in a corporate position, sometimes you don't know, is it me? Is it the company? Is it the position? Is it my time of life? So what are some of those indicators you use to say, okay, I need to make a a big change within my career? Well, I think uh, seeing the growth or, or, or perhaps the lack thereof, I think uh, making uh, connections with people whom you think you want to be like, right? Uh, and finding those mentors, especially early on in the career, I think is very important. And then observing them, right? And then seeing, you know, here are the really cool things that I would like to have out of life. You know, the big apartment, the network, the prestige, so to speak. What's the hidden cost of that, right? Um, mm. You know, and that's the thing where, and how is that, how does that connect with your life and ultimately what you want to do, right? Do you want to work 24-7, seven days a week? Do you work really well when there is no structure, right? Where you, you kind of have to define your own, or, or do you work better within a structure that's outlined for you? So I think that was a part of it. I think, you know, truthfully, I just wasn't seeing the kind of traction that I was hoping to. And, uh, you know, I, it was one of those things where I gave it an honest shot. And um, really, if I'm spending most of my time doing this thing, and I could just be doing that thing, getting highly compensated for it, and not have to worry about all of those other things. You know, I think I think the realization came when I was doing something and I was building or working on my website and I built some widget that would be like a referral thing. And, and I got very excited about it. And then I went, well, this isn't at all what I signed up to do. This isn't at all what I was excited to do, what, what I thought I would be doing. And I think that that was kind of a, one of those catalysts of... Uh, that and I think talking to uh, somebody who I looked up to and I said, you know, what would you do if I if you were me? And uh, he said, if I were you, I'd get a job. And I, I kind of got hurt by that in the beginning. Mm. Um, and then I kind of sat there for a week or two and I, it, it started to make sense. And then just life kind of handed me an opportunity to join a very early stage company where the CEO had just taken a company public. And I knew to be working directly for him would be a really good career move. And it, it ended up being. Awesome. So we don't often talk about the other side of sales, customer success. And you, at one point in your career, you said, hey, I want to still do something in sales, but maybe not as high pressure, something a little bit different. So tell us about your role in customer success and what that taught you um, to, because I really think that everything that we do within our career helps us see something from a different perspective or understand from a different lens. So talk to us about that customer success role. Yeah, and and customer success is very much sales, right? It's just the context uh, of how you're going about it is a little bit different. So for me, I was recruited into Mimeo and uh, for years I kept saying no. And actually how I got recruited into it was through that job I ended up taking. We ended up interviewing somebody and then that person kind of stayed in touch with me and tried to recruit me for, um, uh, for joining the company. And customer success was interesting because here I, you know, at that point I spent, you know, close to eight years going out and hunting. And as you may know that that's, it's a difficult thing. And most of the time, you know, people are not excited to talk to you. So all of a sudden I had a list of 200 customers 
who, when I picked up the phone, did not hang up. That was not their immediate kind of a, a thing I needed to overcome. They actually said, oh, hey, you know, uh, uh, yep, thank you for calling. And then we started talking about their business. And that was a really uh, a kind of a big shift. What was different for me and why I think I was able to succeed the way that I did is I brought that hustle that I've had for years, that pace of working at a, at a early stage company or my own company or whatever it happens to be where you really need to make everything happen. And all of a sudden now I brought it into an existing customer base. So I knew how to generate the excitement and the, the passion. And then some of it is just, you know, hard work, right? It was getting a hold of these people. And, you know, if somebody moved on to a different company and it just came very naturally to me. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was outperforming pretty much all of my, all of the peers that were there. And you know, I didn't come, I didn't have a plan. I felt like I've had a plan up until that point where whatever company I joined and coming into Mimeo, I really didn't have a plan. That six months I spent before that was just trying to figure out if I could start another business or not. And I couldn't come up with an idea that would um, yield the kind of results I wanted in the time frame I was comfortable with. I was looking to start a family. So I just said, hey, why not do this? And uh, I had no plan. I just wanted to do really well. Uh, I knew at some point I wanted to go into management. But I didn't even mention that. I just uh, kind of took it on. And then once I started to see the success, and I think it was evident to everybody around me, that's when those conversations started coming naturally of what do you want to do next? And I said, oh, I'm interested in managing. And I've had some of that experience in the past. And all of a sudden, you know, the track was available for me. I love that you said by having to hustle and hunt, that really made you so much better in customer success because I feel that a lot of companies they just stick people in customer success. First of all, everybody has renamed it to from customer service to customer success because, hey, this is what we want to do. Yeah. But they're not actually thinking this is essentially a sales job because I like to say there's two ways to grow revenue by getting more from existing customers to getting new customers. What's easier? And so your role after the sale has ended I mean, there's still so much more to do to retain the customer, to get more value from them, to sell them more products, to get referrals, all of those things that happen on the back end. So as a customer success um, individual contributor, you made a very fast ascent to leadership. How in each and every one of your roles, how did you set yourself up for the next promotion? Well, I'd say the first thing is you got to do really well at the job description that's given to you currently, mm -hmm. right? Exceed those expectations first. Mm -hmm. Make it very known and clear that this is the path that you want, right, to management, right? Mm -hmm. I think that being on the other side of it, being a leader now for many years, there's nothing better than somebody really asserting themselves and saying, this is what I want to do, especially if they're a star performer, because now you know what the career path is. Now you know what the retention path for this person is, because as leaders, we're always thinking about that, right? What is this person doing? Especially if you see that they're a superstar, you know, how long can they stay in, in that role before they are either approached or they get hungry for more or, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? So I think for me, it was I'm going to do really well. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, right? Do really well at what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, make it clear. And then the last part is actively start doing things that, um, to help others, right? So for me, it was, here's a template I wrote. When I got to Mimeo, we were not as advanced as, you know, coming especially from the emerging sales enablement space, mm -hmm. right? There were a lot of tools I had at my disposal. And I just looked around and I said, I could do this 10 times more efficiently. And so that was one of those things where I said, here, this is how you find contacts. 
this is how you utilize the Yesware and utilize templates to write an email once, right? And just created a lot of systems that really worked for me or I've learned, you know, in the past. But again, coming at it with a lot more experience than I think that the folks that would be in that, a lot more wide experience. There were people that spent more time in the sales role, but I just had a very eclectic kind of group of, of skills and talents and just things that I've learned along the way. And then actively sharing that, like I was not holding on to any of it. So by the time it came to making the promotion, I've already had the respect of my peers because not only was I outperforming, uh, mm. uh, you know, just about you know most of them was one of the top performers. So that spoke for itself. But I was also actively doing things to help and contributing in meetings and whatever it happens to be. So when kind of that, that opening happened, basically the team stepped up and said, you know, Gene should lead us. And, you know, that's the ultimate in terms of um, helping convince people to give somebody a leadership job is if the team that they're already on says, you know, I think it'd be a good idea if, you know, he steps in or she steps in and um, I would follow them. Right. So I think that was a big thing. You gave some really, really good gems there. And I want to make sure that I highlight them. Many times we think that, hey, a top performer is going to be a good manager. And yes, that is one component. But something else that you said is having that propensity just to help when you didn't have to, right? Just to show up and say, hey, let me show you how to do this. Here's a template. Stepping up as a leader without the leader title, I think is a really important thing that we should look for when we're looking to promote from within. Yeah, and raise your hands for things. Raise your hands for this, right? You know, uh, I just recently, um, well, last year, COVID kind of hit us hard. And um, we were in the space of business-to-business content distribution. And a lot of that happens during, uh, you know, meetings, in-person events, training sessions, you know, whatever it happens to be. And obviously that was impacted. But as a result of it, we had to kind of shrink down our, our sales development team as well as some other teams. And, and it was difficult, but we got through on the other side. We're growing aggressively. I think we've had probably one of the best years we've ever had in terms of growth. And we're continuing on that path. But one of the things coming out of it was we needed to rebuild our sales development team. So I stepped up and I said, I want to do the recruiting for it. I'm going to hire the manager. I'm going to, I'm going to hire the, the team back up. All right. And luckily in, in our organization, you get those kind of chances. But that was interested in me and I was able to deliver and learn something new along the way. And um, But those are those kind of things where step up and if there's a project to be done, then put your, you know, make it clear that you want that responsibility. Absolutely. Remove the, it's not my job, so I'm not going to do it, or I'm not getting paid for that. Because if that's your mindset, then leadership is not what you should be doing at this point, right? You're still in the mindset of an individual contributor. Because as you said, it was like, okay, I didn't have to, but I actually cared about the success of the organization. And since I cared about the success of the organization, I'm going to say, yes, hey, let me help push this initiative forward. 100%. And I do think that it's a, there's a good point that you made about the individual contributor does not automatically make a good leader. And uh, I think a lot of individual contributors are very, especially in sales, they're all about getting the job done and all about the, the, there's, there's that kind of mentality of um, I'm all about it. And listen, we have fabulous sales reps I think Mimeo is unique in that we're able to retain our talent in a way that I have not seen other organizations. That's why I've, I've been here for eight and a half years. Um, 
you know, but the, the folks that I manage now, uh, I mean, the company's, you know, 23, 24 years old. Our most senior sales rep is 20, has been with the company for 20 years. Wow. And that's a big testament to the product and the service that we have because salespeople won't stay at a company for 20 years unless they're doing well. You know, it's 20 years, it's 15 years, it's 14 years. It's those kind of things that, um, and those are the kind of folks I, I manage these days. But all that is to say is they're very happy in being an individual contributor. They have a lifestyle that they've built around that and that's what they want to do, right? Um, and certainly they've had opportunities, you know, if they would have wanted to become leaders. In fact, some of them have and then decided to take a step back and say, I'm happier as an individual contributor. This is all something that I could control. I know how to do this. I know how to do this well, as opposed to being in, in charge of other people, which comes with its own burdens. Yeah. And I think that as a salesperson or even as a sales manager, understanding what your true passions and drives are in life are important because there are companies that I've worked with and we've said, hey, this manager isn't a good manager, but they're such a strong individual contributor. Let's give them the option to go back and be an individual contributor. And they worked well, right? And then you have that salesperson who's been trying to move into management for so long and they just can't get a break. And you, it takes a person to say, hey, I see you and I want to elevate you. And so I think that as a salesperson and as a leader, we need to recognize what our teams, what their long-term path is. Because some people are like, I just want to be in sales for 30 years and retire and be done. Some people are like, I want to go all the way. I want to be a CEO one day. I want to be a CRO one day. And that's okay. And our job as leaders is to really help that person develop. 100%. And it's also okay to say, I want to manage a team. I don't want to be the CRO. I don't want to be the numbers guy or gal, right? Um, I don't want the responsibility for the vision of where the, the sales organization is going. But I'm passionate about developing talent, about closing sales and, and managing people. There's nothing wrong with that either, right? And I think, um, again, there's a lot of societal pressure to say, you know, continue pushing upwards at all costs, right? And then there's that idea that, you know, people get promoted uh, up until the level where, you know, they become incompetent because they sort of got promoted above their capabilities. And then they think that they have to stay there. And a lot of people would be, again, happier depending on where you are because there's certain things that you're just better at or you prefer uh, according to your lifestyle. Just because it seems like there's more prestige at the top does not actually mean that that's what you would be happier doing and, you know, what you'd want to do. Mm. So you've been at your company for eight years and in your role for a number of years and through a pandemic, no less. So I'm curious, what are some of the current challenges that you're experiencing and things that you're doing to overcome them? Yeah, great question. So, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of really proud of is just the way that our organization had to respond quickly and swiftly to this pandemic. You know, it's a testament to, I think, our, our CEO and our leadership at the executive level because, you know, starting a print tech company in the late 90s, and then keeping it alive through the, because we're, we're actually a dot-com company, like one of the original ones, right? Mm -hmm. So it's Mimeo.com Inc. But to have that company through 9-11, right, where so many things got impacted, through 2008, where so much of our business just disappeared overnight and never came back. And, you know, continuing that through and then going to the pandemic, they acted quickly and swiftly, and we had to make some really difficult decisions to consolidate down and... um 
you know, for a time, I actually had to step back into being an individual contributor in order for the math to work for everybody. So coming out of that last year, I had to both carry quota individually and, uh, you know, step up that way and manage a team. And then, as I said, on top of that, I volunteered to help rebuild and rehire um, our sales development team. So there was a lot to do. As far as challenges now, I think just like anything else, you know, making sure that we're hiring good people, that we continue to keep our current employees happy. And there's a new generation of sales folks entering the workforce who are different and who have different values, different type of work ethics, are motivated by different things. And recruiting them and retaining them and training them and getting them to be successful in a day and age where it's becoming increasingly more difficult to get a hold of somebody from an outbound perspective. So you have to really work on you know, for, for, at our company, it's been hashtag win as a team, right? Because sales is no longer a, you know, back in the day, you could just hire more salespeople and they will call, call their way or whatever it happens to be into business. You can't do that. Now it's customer success on one end of the funnel. It's marketing and awareness at the other end of that funnel. And sales folks are, are there to help bridge that gap, right? And help evangelize. So really finding that uh, that kind of working as a team approach where, I'm now aligning my team with some of these folks just coming out of college who are so green and then teaching them uh, and building the work ethic and the focus that it takes to be successful. I'd say those are kind of the bigger challenges that we've been uh, um, kind of in uh, in the midst of, uh, of addressing right now. Yes, the multi-generational workforce. We have, I think, four or five generations in the workforce right now. And so really having to lead baby boomers that are on their way out all the way down to Gen Z, right? Who are just entering the workforce and having to balance that, right? Because one thing that sales leaders know is every person is an individual. And yes, that's true. But then you also have to go into those generational things, right? So you can send your Gen Z salesperson a quick text but if you do that to a baby boomer they'll probably be offended right it's so you have to understand what each person needs and making sure that that person that's just coming into the workforce kind of like you or when you're like i was so excited and they hired me because i was high energy we know that it takes a little bit more than high energy these days to be a good salesperson yeah, 100%. And uh, I think there's that focus. And yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, my most senior rep has been with the company for 20 years. I think the most senior person at the, uh, at the company I've hired, she has more sales experience than I've been, uh, years I've been alive, right? And she's amazing. But uh, it's very different than somebody that we've hired that is just out of college. They've never had a single sales job in their life. And there are things that you get put, positions you get put in as a manager that's completely new and you don't know how to react because there are these social norms and now this new generation seems to completely break them, right? So you don't necessarily know how to react when somebody just gets hired and then a week into it, they send you a, a text in the morning saying, I got up and uh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of slow today. I'm going to be out the first half of the day. And I go, I don't know how to respond to that, right? <laughs> What's the appropriate thing? I understand mental health, uh, you know, mental wellness and all of that. And it's just a very different kind of thing where in the past, it's like, you know, you'd have to be on your deathbed to not make it to work. Right. Uh, you know, in, in the first in the first year of your job, right? You're, you're there, you know, at 7.30 and you don't leave until 7. And that's just, that's not the case now, right? And everybody mm. wants flexibility. Uh, I think uh, individualism is a lot more important and all of those things. So really have to adjust for that and understand who you're talking to and 
how you could connect with them in a way that makes sense, right? So how do you drive that urgency while still being sensitive to their individual feelings and mental health and all of that stuff? It's an interesting journey. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I'm, I'm just, you know, giggling because thinking about like, you know, it's like, okay, even if there isn't a rule of you're on probation, it's like the first three months, you just don't call in. You don't take off because you're, you're just scared, right? And that's kind of the way that we grew up in being cultured where, but my younger brother, he's like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't feel good. I'm just going in late. I'm like, what do you mean you're going in late? Help me understand. What does that mean? <laughs> like help me. Right. And so I think as leaders, we have to understand what we have to do to push a little because that same person who's like, I'm coming in late, they'll be working until eight or nine o'clock at night. Right. Because they're like, I'm going to do my eight hours. I'm just going to do it at a different time. Uh, there was one time I had an employee and she was like, yeah, I just, you know, it did working eight to five. It's not working for me. So I was wondering, can I come in at 12? And I was like, we'll try <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Unfortunately, it didn't work out well for her, but I was open to it. Right. I was yeah. like, let's try it. I'm not just going to say no, as we would have in the past. Like, no, it's in the box. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point as you want to be willing, you want to be flexible and you want to be accommodating. But you also have to remember the overall culture that you're looking to build, right? Yeah. So, and your culture is, it's what you do, right? It's what you let people get away with. It's what you accept, right? So if uh, you have to counterbalance that with, I want to be sensitive to this person's individual needs. But if I do that for them, I've just set a new standard and then you created a new culture in which it's acceptable to set your own hours and work from whenever to whenever. And you want, in some cases, that's okay, depending on what you do. But if you're a sales team and, you know, you're selling it to the East Coast, you know, probably not the best idea. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Make sure that the company's missions, visions, and values are aligned with the teams and it goes down to the individual. So you can make sure that that translates up and down the food chain. So you've had a very, very vast, broad career. And so I'm curious, what is one thing personally or professionally that you are most proud of accomplishing? Well, on the individual, uh, a personal front, it's it's by far and away uh, having kids. Uh, I have a couple of young boys, ages, uh, one just turned 15 months today and the other one is five and a half. So uh, nothing has been as rewarding or as challenging or as, you know, as far as uh, um, pride, those are far and away my number one. You know, but from a career standpoint, I think just being able to persevere and to come into an organization and really grow through the ranks and get to a place where you really do feel like, you know, you're part of the actual culture of the company and you're getting to shape that. I think that that would be the thing I'm most proud of uh, from a professional standpoint. Mm, that's awesome. Your boys and your career. I have two boys too. So 15 months and five, I can imagine you're having lots of fun <laughs> right now. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's challenging. It's hard, right? My, as soon as my, my work uh, at Mimeo ends, that's when my real job begins of, of being a father and getting, uh, you know, doing the homework and uh, you know cleaning and making them dinner and getting them to bed. So it never stops. Yes, homework. We have a couple weeks left here of school. <laughs> like, oh, yes, homework. I didn't know second grade was going to be so hard, man. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it, it seems like I'm the one doing homework, not, you know, uh, you know, to be fair. I mean, he's in kindergarten, right? So um, I think there's just, a, and a, I think this translates back into sales is I think there's this idea that more volume of something is going to lead to better results. 
and whether it's more homework or more, you know, start younger or do whatever, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think you have to be smart and see if the results are really matching the hypothesis of, hey, if you start somebody doing something early or you give them this stuff, does that actually make them better or do you feel like you're doing something, right? That's the old kind of the jokes around man sales management is, you know, you know, the manager just kind of comes in and says, you know, are you guys working hard? And, you know, and uh, uh, make sure we call all the leads and make sure you're following up and tell them this. And if there's anything at all you need, you call me for help. And after a while, you kind of roll your eyes and go, yeah, okay, come on. <laughs> I understand my business and I get it, but you feel like you have to say something. So really being able to add value to any kind of an individual contributor really see what it is that they need and sometimes reflect back to them the things that are unpleasant uh, for them, but will push them harder. That I think is really what defines a, a really key successful leader that could get the most out of out of people, even against their own sort of uh, prejudgments, you know. I love to say quality over quantity. It's more important to have valuable touches and valuable impact than just a lot. So let's have a good one meeting a week instead of three or four that are just beating you over the head with KPIs or going through the CRM, right? Let's focus on what is important. 100%. Thank you so much, Jean. This has been such a delightful conversation. What is the one best way that people can get in contact with you if they're curious? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for me, Jean Plotkin at Mimeo and, uh, that would be the, the most uh, direct way to get in contact with me. Or you could send me an email at gplotkin at mimeo.com. Awesome. And all of that will be in the show notes. So thank you so much again, Jean, for sharing your time, your talent, and your expertise with us. We definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember. It's all about the science of selling. It's not just about beating your salespeople over the head with KPIs. Focus on teaching them the how behind selling, not just the what. Until next time.